episode 22 of the All Around Podcast, uh, talking film and TV. Uh, Dad, what'd you watch this weekend? This or this week, I should say. I I did not have the ability to see anything on vacation, spending time out and about. Um, you know, I probably should have watched Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because we were in Charleston and Savannah, Savannah being the town of that. Though that was a uh, sort of a cultural, that was a cultural sweeping sort of book that probably hit hard in the mid to late nineties, I guess. I'm not sure when the movie came out with Kevin Spacey among others. Um, but, uh, which is essentially about a murder that happens in Savannah among this um, very culturally connected uh, group of people in this kooky, weird town of Savannah that has its own little sort of histories. Um, really well known books. It didn't or it, it did didn't? not? No, 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 it didn't. I think it was much more of a book. Uh, I, I think it was much more of a book event that uh, spoke to, it was much more atmospheric in the way it was in the book and how well does that translate to the film? You know, I don't know. Well, but. I saw the Chicago seven trial of Chicago seven. I saw planes, trains and automobiles for the first time. Hey, uh, okay. And I saw Zombieland two again. Second. Those aren't pillow. Those aren't pillows. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Plane Trains and Automobiles was, uh, I knew it was good, but it was like even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, it gets very heart, yeah, emotionally yeah. tear jerky and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but, but like, people think that's, people think that might be John Candy's, uh, people like him in that role as much as any role that he did in that time. Though I'm partial. Well, I mean, for his career, I mean, I mean that is that is a movie that people go back to again and again and again. It, it is arguably a holiday movie. Yeah, and then so it's, it's not... interesting to see Colonel Mallory as Steve Martin's wife. That's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's like, hey, I know who that is. Uh, but I mean, but yeah, it was uh, it was good. Mom liked Zombieland too, which shocked me. She really liked it. Uh, I have not seen it's, it. It's very it. good. It is very good because it knows what it is. It knows exactly what it needs to do and it's just different enough that it's not a retread so um mm-hmm. so yeah uh trial of chicago 7 uh which is on netflix it premiered on friday was good it was a it Could was it, a i understand it's supremely aaron sorkin i mean it is not super i mean it's not like it's not like super snappy like it is snappy but it's not social network or Moneyball or it's not that. Is it Charlie Wilson's War? Oh my God! I was rewatching bits of Char- Charlie Wilson's War on YouTube. No, it's not Charlie Wilson's War because the, it doesn't. Uh, the I mean, Gus... there are funny parts, but they, you know, like yes, I know you're John... referring to the Philip Seymour Hoffman with uh, John Slattery, and that's a great scene. But even the scene where you know he puts the bug on the uh, bottle of champagne or whatever, and he's like. I got a little thing in my ear, get past it. Like, even that is pretty much better than almost any scene in Trial of Chicago 7. Um, just, there's a big... Uh, really? Really? It's better than any scene in that? Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I've seen Charlie Wilson's War once, and I really, 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 really liked it. So, like, I don't know if you probably liked it as much as I did when I saw it, but... The Char- oh no, I love yeah. Charlie Wilson's no, War. No, Charlie Wilson's War 
because I think with Charlie Wilson's War, there is a big like, hey, this is what happened. Mainly. Trial of Chicago 7, and I think some of it is because Aaron Sorkin directed it, is it's just, it is, it gets kind of preachy. Like, it gets like really preachy. And I know the whole trial actually was kind of ridiculous with the judge that uh, oversaw the trial. Uh, mm-hmm. Julius Hoffman, who's played by Frank Langella. Um, but like, I think it's Langella. Langella. Sorry, my Go bad. Ahead. Um, so, uh, who I think was in the original Lolita with Peter Sellers, maybe, but I could be wrong. No, it was it was good. It was just it's just a little preachy. Mark Rylance is very good as William Kunstler, and uh, um, like everybody's good in it. Eddie Redmayne. Um, you know, plays a he plays a Jane Fonda's yeah Tom right? Hayden, he's good, pretty good American accent. Um, but I don't know, he he does that like little like soft, like every he every one of his characters is always a soft spoken guy because Eddie Redmayne's a soft spoken guy, and he still does his little like twitch thing. I don't know if like I don't know. But uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's, like, everybody's good in it. It's just, like, the end of it is so, like, just swelling music and everybody, like, standing in the courtroom, fists up. Like, it's like, did that happen? Which is exactly the opposite of Charlie Wilson's exactly. war. Um, and, and maybe and, that's and frankly, Mike Nichols. And, maybe that is the Mike Nichols. I, well... So, so I did not see the movie, but I read a few things about it. And, you know, there's one part I understand where Abby Hoffman is, the, the, Sasha Baron Cohen who plays Abby Hoffman, yeah. is questioned by the counselor and says, you know, I don't know. He makes a comment like, I don't know if I've been put, put on trial for my thoughts before yeah. or, or something along that line. And Can't you give me a second of friend? I, I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Yeah. Right. And, and, not saying that that's not an effective line and you could argue like, okay, so, so where is that today? Um, insofar as cultural relevance, but, um, mm-hmm. the fact that it takes place in this sort of public sphere and it's sort of a big, but my impression is that it's, it's plays big. Um, and, and Abby Hoffman and all those guys were, big in the way that they sort of presented themselves throughout the trial for for all for reasons that make complete sense whereas in charlie wilson's war you know the most effective stuff that happens is really where it's all the side conversations um, it it is a side conversation between uh philip seymour hoffman and tom hanks playing gus devracos and charlie wilson just sort of just laying stuff out and just saying no this is what's happening and this is this you have to understand what's going on and and though it plays small, it's very impactful, and and that's weird for an Aaron Sorkin script to have the small stuff being, frankly, the most impactful in Charlie Wilson's War. I, I think about Facebook. I'm like, well, what was like the really small stuff that that was super impactful? Um, well, it's a so well, I, it's the yeah. whole thing when it's the chicken story. That's like the small thing in social network. It's like you planted that story about the chicken. He's like, I didn't plant that story about the chicken. He's like, yeah, because you were jealous I got into the Phoenix. And I bet what you couldn't stand is that they named me as a co-creator of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole. 
that part because it's all that little thing that builds to that that is the second layer of that big confrontation at the end was that because mark talks about he wants to get into one of the finals clubs eduardo does then there's this story about the chicken that happens that's kind of played off Mm -hmm. as a comedic moment and then it's the second layer of yeah you shrunk my shares or or you diluted my shares and guess what i know why you did this because you're jealous of me like that was the second thing that's my guess at least so Charlie Wilson's war better than uh, Trial of Chicago Seven? One? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like that. Yeah. I don't think it's a it's a debate. I'm not saying Trial of Chicago Seven is bad, but it is like there's a clear delineation. I think the best performance in Trial of Chicago Seven was from Jeremy Strong, who uh, he was in The Big Short. He's in Succession, but to me, everything I saw him in, he is he plays these like the New York kind of like yeah. What what, what are you talking about, bro? Like the because in the big short he's the one who calls ryan gossing he's like look i need you to explain to me one thing he's like what's it how are you fucking us or whatever and it's just like this big like almost <laughs> mook like just yeah he kind of talks like this he's like five seven and i feel like he only plays that guy That's... but in this he plays uh uh okay Ruben. so 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 working for so I got to tell you, working for a bank that has a significant presence in New York. No, I'm not talking about the, the language. Those, I'm, not I'm just saying. The, no, no, no. But I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that those people exist. No, I'm not <laughs> in quantity. I'm not saying the words he used. It's how he said. No, it. no. He's he it and he's the, the guy. New York like 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 he always just the broy kind of attitude. But in this, he hey hey man, like what what are you doing? Like he plays this really like uh laid back hippie i know that's the character i get it but like he plays it very well and i was like oh that actually is really surprising like he i felt like he did a really good job in the movie um but uh yeah it was it was good but it's probably like a seven you know whereas i think charlie wilson's war is like a eight and a half probably a nine um but yeah but I watched that scene with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't know why I didn't fire you in the first place. It's like, yeah, we're screwing Nicholson's wife, and you know I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and hold on. Let's remember, Charlie Wilson's War had a very great cameo mm-hmm. in it as well. It did. It very much <laughs> did. I remember you saying, it's like, oh, yeah, Emily Bunt's in this first scene. It might be her best work. And I'm just kind of like, she's in it for a scene. He's like, ah, a couple scenes, but she's like really good. And I think this is why she had other opportunities. And like I watch it, I'm like, you have a point. I'm, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's not bad. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, you know, Zombie Two was good. Uh, nice to see that mm-hmm. again. But I guess we can get into the cool. news. Uh, I'll start yeah. with the trailers. You watched the Soul and the Crown season four trailers. So yes, uh, I did. I saw I saw Soul. I'm. Uh... I'm just wondering what it is. Right, yeah. It's like, it's like okay, from the makers of Inside Out and Coco, yeah, I'm like, yep, Pete, I see Inside Out, and yep, I see Coco. Yeah, it's like, okay. I, I, yeah. I, I like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I'm not really worried because it's Pete Doctor, so I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm sure I might cry because Inside Out was... <laughs> Jesus. Ooh, Co- Co- Coco. Coco, though, yeah, too. Coco, too. Coco, though, too, is like... Man, I mean, and, and both of those movies did a good job at really lightening it up not long after to take you out of it. Yeah. Girls. Girls. Oh, yeah, the girls. girls. Girl, yeah, that, that was good. 
Um, but but yeah, it was uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting uh, just that style because um, with Coco, like that really, with Coco, there's almost that feathery kind of fringy style because there's all the flowers in Coco. But even when they yeah, and and, and you know what, I did out, see Coco. All the emotion characters have that little like feathery, fringy, furry kind of edges, like they look like that. So it's interesting because they kind of have so, that a little bit so, with this. So Anne did watch Coco when we were in Charleston. I watched that with mm-hmm. her. Um, so I saw probably the last hour of it on the trip. Oh. So. Uh, well, The Crown. Um, oh, wait, go ahead. Well, so so what do you, what do you think of Soul? I mean, I'm, 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 I've had this feeling it's probably going to be really good and it's going to be sort of tug your heartstrings sort of stuff because it's Pete Doctor. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if when we look back on this, th- th- this could be the beginning of something else of this period of time when all of these theatrical quality movies um, that do not make it to the theater that are released. Um, if they're just going to have this, um, if they, I don't want to say stink of failure is not the right word, but they're just going to have this mark on it that said, oh yeah, this never got released because of COVID and because of that it's going to be lessened in people's eyes. Um, and, and we're going to talk about a movie that later that screams of, well this is definitely like a theatrical release movie, but I, I wonder if simply because people are used to going to a theater to see a certain thing, the fact that that venue or that method of viewing things does not exist right now, if that will just, if that just lessens the broader impact of the movie in the zeitgeist of the country. Um, um, or, 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 or in the broader entertainment sphere, um, co- or cultural, for whatever. this movie or just mm-hmm. movies in general? Well, well, specific this, this, which I don't screams think it's really like, gonna okay, affect uh, this so much because just Inside Out, as good as Inside Out was, and it is a very, very, it's a, it's a great movie. Inside Out didn't have that lasting like yeah people talk about inside out as hey it's really good but people aren't you know it, it's not frozen you know it's not the lion king or it's not aladdin it's not beauty and the beast because it's just and inside out still made 800 whatever million dollars it made a ton of money but it just didn't have that lasting impact and i know what you mean by the stink of it i don't think it's gonna have that because i think no 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 but will, will this even have inside out or Coco uh, I think so just because that's what because I'm saying per, I think that when movies are coming out again and people are going back to movies that they're gonna have and this is gonna happen right away because there's just gonna be a stack of films that are just gonna just gonna there's gonna be this explosion because they're just gonna try to make as much money as possible but like once things kind of die down and I don't know in August or January it's like hey Disney's gonna re-release Soul in theaters for a month or something go see it you think yeah, I mean, it's just a guess for me, but yeah, I think it'll happen. I mean, okay. And now, don't get me wrong, the movie business has to pick back up for that to happen because we don't really know. You know, AMC is talking about how they're going to be out of cash by the end of the year. So there's that. Um, but uh, did you watch the Crown trailer? 
I did. Uh, you know, when I'm watching, I, I thought two things when I watched it. Number one, basically, if you want to make any like deep, heavy trailer, just play like a musical score over it. Don't have any dialogue and have all your characters like expressing all these emotions and anger and have everything muted. And it's like every like Nolan movie does that. Every like Fincher movie does that where you see someone screaming, but it's muted. And then you have music playing over hey. it. Hey, the, the the one the one the one preview or the one thing that did that the best. Yeah. Um, and and it might have been the first was Platoon with tracks in my yes. tears. That that was like, I know, I know. Yes, you bring it up well, all the, the time. Second time Dad. you brought it up on the podcast. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not, not in that but, context. But go, but go not watch in that, that context. But you have brought it up before. Um, but no, and then the other thing I thought was, you know, they have this, they have the priest or the pastor or whatever talking over because it's obviously Charles and Diana's wedding. Yep. So they're Mowage. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. It's like, man, this, someone needs to overlay this with the Mowage. Okay. We are so I remember here. being, I, I remember being, I remember waking up at six o'clock in the GD morning on a Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was in 1981. I want to say it might've been March. And your parents when, were uh, Diana. This? Um, it was my parents, sis, Jesse, your aunt Jess, definitely into it. Um, but yeah, so you get up and watch. Though we didn't have Court Hosen back in, uh, what's oh, his face? Court we Hosen didn't have the ability to have. Again. Yes, yes. We, we we weren't lucky enough to have you that. We were able to have like. Yes. So in the, in, during the uh, ceremony, um, do you take Charles, Philip, Arthur, George, and she says, yes, I take Charles, Arthur, Philip, George. She mixes up the names in the middle of it, which which I wonder if they will obviously, uh, obviously yeah, bring you'll, that you'll up. Yeah, you'll see the camera cut to all these people looking like, did, what? Did, did, did she just say that? <laughs> I, the, the, the other thing that I remember, and this is myself at 10 or 11, um, that I recall is Diana's dad just – you know, he might not have been drunk, but but dude was like, like you know, red nose. He he had all the markings of, like, look look. Let, let's shake you out of your stupor. Throw a tux on you just enough, and maybe you can just limp and fake your way through walking your daughter down the aisle. I, I and I feel bad because he might have had a health condition, but but frankly, he just looked like. Just an alcoholic that got dried up just long enough to have him sort of stumble his way through this ceremony. That's probably the wow, that's, the biggest thing I recall. Crown season four, if you want to, I swear, if they do some backstory thing about her dad and it turns her, her dad being just being just yeah, drunk, be, and yeah, just like put that on Twitter or on podcast, we called it. Dude, dude, you're gonna, you're just gonna see. You will hear me going, whoa, and the fist getting thrown <laughs> in the air saying, I was yes. right. Yes. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm going to start with the Disney shuffle. Real, realignment. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a way of putting it. So uh, Disney streamlines, that's the word now, streamlines as COVID-19 woes continue. Uh, so basically they are shifting everything it's all about Disney Plus. It is Disney Plus a go-go. Because, um, you know, you... Because the, the thing was when I was reading... Kind of. Kind of it is. But go ahead. Well, when I was reading the... Um, 
article and i guess in the investor call like when they were talking like before disney plus launched like yeah this isn't gonna be profitable for a while and they beat their five-year goal in eight months and it's like well we can shift some things no 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 yeah they didn't i mean their their goal well their goal was to be at 100 million by 2025 they're north of 60 now so they'll they'll get there uh but they are very well ahead. Of so me. it's basically content creation is going to be in managed in three groups, studios, general entertainment and sports, Alan Horn and Alan Bergman, Peter Rice, Jimmy Pataro are the heads of all those. So you have Horn and Bergman, chairman of studios content, Peter Rice, who was a longtime Fox executive, is the chairman of general entertainment content, which is basically just all the television, all the normal television stuff, like ABC Signature, Touchstone TV, Nat Geo, Freeform, FX, ABC News, the Disney Channels, 20th, now it's just 20th century television. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, it's like creating a single kind of media platform for entertainment and entertainment and distribution unit led by Kareem Daniel. So I'm sure you have... that. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a paragraph. It says, in light of the tremendous success achieved to date in the company's direct consumer business to further accelerated its direct consumer strategy, mm-hmm. the company today announced a strategic reorg of its media entertainment business. Under the new structure, Disney World's creative engines will focus on developing and producing original content original. for the co- for the company's streaming services as well as legacy platforms. While distribution and commercialization activities will be centralized into a single global media entertainment distribution organization, that new media and entertainment distribution group will be responsible for all monetization of content, both distribution and ad sales, and will oversee operations of the company's streaming services. It will also have sole P&L accountability for Disney's media and entertainment business. So this is significant because... The creative heads that are making everything answer to one guy to the distri- to the distribution group. So Disney Plus, the distribution group is saying, throw all your content in our direction. We will figure out the best way to monetize it because they're the ones that are responsible for the PL on all that stuff. It rolls to them, they will approve it, but then they're also going to choose what. <clears throat> What platform will be presented on? So PL, is that planning and logistics? Uh, no, profit loss. All right, whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, but but that's the thing. So Kareem, there is a lot of stuff up under him. So Jimmy Pataro, ESPN, under him. Yep. All those guys are under him. And Kareem is the guy that's saying, okay, here's the platform down. So that's interesting because it's not about the movie studio, right? It's not like Jeff, Jeff Katzen, you know, you look at Disney 30 years ago when he ran the movie studio, movie studio, arguably it exists, but it's just one of six pillars like ESPN or sports, which I would just call ESPN, but it's also television. It's all this stuff. It is right in line. Disney plus is going to be for a while, depending how this new entertainment world shakes out over the next year, two, five, 
Um, yes, that's going to be sort of the primary channel through a lot of this goes, and obviously the Hulu, ESPN Plus, whatever this new cable bundle sort of shakes out to be. So that's a that's an interesting um, strategy, and in my opinion, I think Chapek's making the right call because you don't know what the channels are going to be going forward. You have no idea. We have no idea what the future of movie studios looks like, but man, oh man. I mean, you want to talk about how smart were they to buy, um, what was the, what was the baseball? Bam, Bam Tech. Or, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, all that, I mean, all that streaming, but I mean, uh, the servers and all that and, stuff. Yeah. And they knew in 2015 when ESPN, when Iger was saying, he said on a call, like, yep, we're seeing some slowdown with streaming. Not streaming, but ESPN is sort of ESPN slowing down. Losing subscribers. Yep. And so they knew what they had to do. But then you just take COVID, which just basically accelerated everything five to 10 years out. Um, but man, thank God for them that they did that good on you, Iger. And I think JPEG's making the right call here um, in centralizing things for now. Now that could change in a bit just depending upon what the new paradigm is going to be for the distribution of entertainment. But that's the right call. I don't know anything about uh, uh, the dude. I mean, from what I read, he was, he's been with the company for years. He was an intern way back when. So, so good on him. I think they've, um, I mean, JPEG seems to have a lot of faith in him. Um, I, what did he do beforehand? Uh, um, I, have no, I have no clue. But, but I think that the fact that, you know, he made another comment here, uh, managing content creation distinct from distribution will allow us to be more effective and nimble in making content cons- in making the content consumers want most delivered in the way they prefer to consume it. Yeah, which so is creative, you know, don't worry about, I mean, it, it is getting into that. Not don't worry about how much it'll cost, but like, hey, don't worry about an added marketing and distribution to your budget. Just worry right. about production. Right. Exactly. And that's smart. Well, that's you know smart. who else is since, doing that? These you channels, know who else is doing that just in a different these... industry? X, uh, micro, uh, Microsoft Amazon. and Xbox. with Game Pass. Oh, well, sure. But go ahead. Go sure. Ahead. No, I'm... I'm I really think that that's because uh, that's what it's getting to. I, it is all about having the recurring uh, money, the recurring subscriptions, basically subsidize right subscription, subsidize your subscription losers, revenue, subsidize your losers, and boost your winners. That's what it's about. And, and and frankly, that's where if you look at tech companies, and so I mean, this is a little, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but if you look at tech companies, like who are your companies that have strong um, subscriptions and who don't? You know, you're, you're, you're of your big ones. It's your Microsoft. It's your Amazons Apple. with Prime and Apple. And who don't? Of the big ones, Google and Facebook. Yeah. Why? Because they're essentially just ad platforms. Right. Um, Google has tried. Not. Tries to have these subscription Hello, services. Stadia. They've got these. Yeah. Well, I don't even think that. But it's like they've tried to do these light office things. Like they have Google. um their Google uh, Docs sort of, they have this sort of light office that they pushed out. Like I know on the educational side, they've done that, but they've not done it at scale. Microsoft is still dominant there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying. And so if you can get the subscription model and, and Disney just went from zero to 60, like overnight, I mean, which is incredible, but 
you've got that, uh, you know, you got the people mm. there. Um, I'm, you know, th- that also speaks to, okay, whoever's got distribution locked down, now it's just a matter of, okay, they got to go, what, horizontal a bit and say, okay, so who, who do we get more content from? And that speaks to, uh, you know, I, like I think Paramount's done. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I think they're done. And I wonder if they will even exist as an independent entity or as independent as they are this right now, a year, well, a year or two from now. Um, and, and frankly, Sony, I think Sony, frankly, probably has to cut bait as well because in terms of they don't really films. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the film entity. Um, and so who buys that up? I mean, and is Sony going to, I don't, I don't know. Cause Sony still makes money off of Spider-Man and what they're trying to do with Venom. Now I think if they trip, if yeah, they trip but, over themselves with like Morbius and Venom too, and all that stuff, then I agree with you. I think it'll eventually happen because I think they're stupid for making those but, movies, but. But Sony doesn't have the cat. I mean, Sony has cash, but Sony's another lines of business. Yeah. And if they're essentially going to be dry for 18 months, which is what they will be. And as as is Paramount, again, and you're talking about Sony all, pictures. You're not talking about all of Sony pictures, okay. right? But but at some juncture, does Sony just say, "Yeah, we're done"? Because how much of a drag on Sony as a company does the movie studio play? And and that's a larger question for the board of directors at Sony and you know the management there for them to for them to figure out. Um, you just yeah. here's the deal: COVID could because be gone. The, but I mean, I mean, have you seen what Korea like? Korea is basically free of COVID. There's still nobody going to movies right. there. Like nobody is going to the movie theaters there. Yeah. And so, what's it going to take? 2022 before people show up? I mean, shit. They push. What, what did they just push to? Like a, I mean, Jurassic World has gotten pushed to friggin' yeah, like Batman 22 Batman pushed to 2022 because Dune is took the place of October 2021. And, it's- and is Wonder Woman still Christmas or is that next su- summer now? I think it's still Christmas. Uh, Today. <laughs> I think it's still Christmas. Um, release date. Uh, juice. That's not right. Um, no, I think it was Christmas. It's still... No, it's still Christmas. It still is for now. Yep. But it's gonna it's gonna get man, that's, that's, that's two months, man. I mean okay. Um I, I, I'm I'm just saying that these studios, you gotta have the distribution now. And the, you know, at this point distribution is Apple, Netflix at scale. Apple, Netflix, um, Amazon, Disney. Crackle? I mean, what? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, r- pretty much kind of nobody else. I mean, I mean, Peacock exists, but they're not putting first-run movies on that. So, no. anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going if, down. If Universal, ever, is, does, this if is Universal a, ever does try to, they need to rebrand it. It can't be called Peacock. You know, it needs to be called you know, you know <laughs> Universal Plus, Uni Plus. I mean, I don't know. But you can't call it Peacock. Because people are only going to think it's NBC. So. Right, right. Well, that's a Paramount did with CBS. Right, so, yeah. exactly. Um, so, uh, what do you think about the reorg? I mean, I think it's I think it's a smart move. Yeah, of course it's smart, and plus it probably takes more. 
out of even though yes people report to chapek i mean like you said i think what chapek's known for being kind of cheap cheap, but cheap. i think you know you just when things get back to normal especially when people are back in the parks and the money's a little more constant i guess like i think you know he's not going to be kind of tightening the grips on content creation i would say film and television production but i'll just say content creation so uh, but as for like the Sony Pictures thing, yes, I, you know, Sony, they will probably eventually like unload Columbia and that'll be it for them. But, you know, everybody talks and I know it's different now, but everybody talked about Sony, you know, selling off like eight years ago and it didn't happen. And they were in pretty bad times then. I just I just think Sony, Dude. I know it's COVID. I get it. I, I understand. These are really bad times. I'm just saying, I just, it's not, Paramount I, will, will go way before Sony goes. You're, you're exactly right. And and them doing Cleopatra, that is like the, the Hail Mary. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean. Yeah. You live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That's what happened there. <laughs> um, but. I don't know if they're the villain. You, you know, no, I'm thinking about I know Cleopatra villain, too. But it's just like. You know, what's the thing Bill Burr where he's like, he wakes up some mornings and he can't look himself in the mirror like, oh, God, you piece of shit. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you know what you're doing is not a smart move. I, I, I was thinking about Cleopatra again. I'm saying, wow, they're going to drop $150 million or whatever to make this movie. And then I know people are up in arms because what's her, uh, Gal Gadot's in it. And um, people are thinking, like, they should get, like, Oh, they need to get like a North African sort of person to play um, Cleopatra. Damn, and I'm Cleopatra's not. Yeah, African. yeah. I, no, I know, I know. But 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 let's say that she was okay. okay. And and but my comment is, who the hell is going to show up to a hundred and fifty million dollar budget movie to a relative no name? I mean, you're you're putting Gal Gadot in because you think she can sell tickets. And tell me, like, having Wonder Woman as your lead, okay, it's hard for you to do better than that. Um, to try to sell tickets because you got $150 million into this and probably at least that in marketing. It's a bit, you better have someone that can move some bodies into the theater. Yeah, it's like you're, you're and, basically, like, paying $150 million to do a, like, like a, a a girl playing two guys off of each other like that's basically what it is you know uh, i mean it is it's just gonna be her messing with mark antony and uh julius caesar like that's essentially what it's gonna be to keep now yes if they're right. gonna show some battles or something uh to show like the threat of rome okay fine but to me sword and sandal stuff just like that type of sword and sandal stuff does not work for me. I mean, hell, Kingdom of Heaven bombed, uh, Exodus Gods and Kings bombed. Like it, there's no history. It's like trying to film a Ten Western. Com- Ten, Ten Commandments was very successful. I'm talking about in the last. That was modern. That was 60 yeah, years exactly. ago. But okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but uh, to the well, I into in, intolerance. You know, that was 1918, but that's like... Oh, my God. D.W. Griffith? (laughs) Exactly. That that goes back to Lake of Egypt, too. So, go ahead. Um, (laughs) Let's go way back. (laughs) So, uh, so, another story I had, which I'm pretty excited about, is that they're going to... Looks like that uh, the 
Furiosa spinoff for Mad Max actually like in pre-production, I guess. Uh, budget? Is there a budget? No. So that's the thing. I, I, I like took a note on that. But so George Miller, he's going to direct. Charlie's won't be in it because it's like a prequel. So it's Anya Taylor-Joy is going to play young Furiosa. And she was in Split. She was in New Mutants. She was in that movie Thoroughbreds with, uh, oh, what's her name from um, from Ready Player One. Uh, and that's a really dark comedy, but very dark. it's like a dark teen comedy. And it was on HBO. I watched it last year. But uh, that was the one where um, Elliot Kalen had the joke. Uh, is that Henry, Henry David Thoreau's Bakery? <laughs> um, she's got She's got kind of a unique look. Yeah. True. Yeah. Them eyes are them eyes are set nice and wide on her face. Uh okay. Uh, <laughs> sound like a serial killer. Um but Chris Hemsworth is gonna be in it and Yaya Abdul Mateen, the second, who was in Watchmen, he was in Trials Chicago Seven. Uh played Bobby Seal. Uh they were all they're also cast. So my kind of thing is you know. Mad Max cost $150 million and made $375. And the whole thing about that was the fact it even got to $375 was because of word of mouth. When you think about it. Like that movie opened to like $40 million. Or maybe it was like it was hard. It was rated it was rated R. Rated R. You know, yeah. the last Mad Max came out in what, nineteen eighty seven or something. Mm-hmm. And um uh no oh beyond thunderdome yeah. i yeah i don't even think of that as i mean that i don't even think of that as that it's i think of it as just mad max and road warrior road warrior is 81 but yeah beyond thunderdome um so so yeah that was before 87 and that was that was that had to be like 83 or 84 um tina turner was yeah it. i know uh but it's like this is not going to be 150 million dollars even with chris hemsworth attached it's I think Chris Hemsworth being attached is the only reason it's actually getting made. Um, well, he's not playing. He's not playing Max, no, is he? No, he's not playing Max. Uh, is he like young Immortan Joe? Uh, I hope not, dear God. Um, no, I'm sure it'd be it'd be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure he's. It's a totally different character. It's, I don't even think Max is going to be in it. Like the whole. I mean, Mad Max is like. Well, at least the way he's presented in Fury Road, he's he's basically just the guy along for the ride. Like he's basically you, in that he's learning about everything else, and he's like, all right, what? He's basically Master Chief. He's just the husk that you inhabit throughout the story. That's basically what it is. Um, okay, but like, or what Master Chief used to be, I should say. Uh, but even though I, I'm not a fan of prequels generally. Uh, I'd be happy to go back into that world. And just remembering Mad Max, when I saw that in theaters, it was awesome. And it was great because the fan hoopla around that basically kept that movie alive all the way to Oscar season the following year because it came out in May. And a lot of the times, the the award shows forget about those movies and it only relies on that like October or what? late September. To Didn't do. it win? Yeah, won six, it won it won six things, Oscars. Yeah, uh, A lot of technical stuff, obviously. But uh, yeah, but yeah, um, but it's gonna be a while probably before this is out because Anya Taylor Joy is filming The Northman by Robert Eggers, uh, Chris Hemsworth is filming Thor: Love and Thunder, Yaya Abdul Mateen is filming The Matrix Four. So it's just like 
Got to wait for all that to finish up, and then they can start filming. So, but I don't know. What uh, What do you think? Um, I, I'm if if they go cheap on it. I mean, cheaper. They're not going to go cheap. I think it'll be like right ninety million or something. Right, but but I mean, you saw every dollar of that movie, of the hundred and fifty million dollars in the original, mm-hmm. um, the original, but the most recent yeah. one. And um, and my concern is that it would lose a lot. If that movie would have lost a lot if you skimped on the budget. So my concern is that um, okay, is this going to be a smaller film? I mean, maybe it is. Uh, I I'm I'm concerned that usually for sequels that they go cheap, and this movie is a movie that did the first movie was a movie that did well because it played big. Mm. And if they try to have this play small um, and you don't really grasp the world uh, like you did in the first, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be good though. I'm not overly optimistic that it's still, I'm not going to say good. It will likely be good, but it's still going to have, uh, the impact, um, like like I wonder, like the first Mad Max had that weird kinetic sort of style about it, and I'm wondering is yeah, where they like speed I, up. I can only up the film, yeah, right. But I'm, I'm like I can't imagine he does that again um, because that would just be it, it would just be uh, more of the same. Not, yeah, it would, redundant's not the right word, but it's like okay, people want to see something new and something different. And so okay, so what are you gonna do? I you know. I mean, if it does I, have a budget comparable to Fury Road, it's because he got Hemsworth to sign on. Like that is, I've, that is why this movie is being made, um, or that is how it is getting made. Um, because he was trying to do something right after Fury Road, because he had like two separate like scripts he had a furiosa thing and then he had a seat like a direct sequel with max if you wrote called like the wasteland or something like mad max wasteland mm-hmm. and it was just like yeah we want to do it we want to do it and it's just kind of like well when's it gonna happen and it was just like well fury road didn't make that much money if it made any at all so like it's the same thing that's going on with the edge of tomorrow sequel like yeah like supposedly the script is great script's done and doug lyman wants to do it and Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, like, they're waiting for their schedules to free up. And it's like, ah, well, Edge of Tomorrow didn't make that much money. Should we really do it? Uh, and it's just kind of like, yeah, we'll see. Um, so, but I, I mean. You had, you had, yeah. That, that, that last Mad Max movie had so many things going for it. Um, in spite of it being rated R with the people that were in it. Plus, it had this old sort of culty movie that people really liked. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, it was able to pull on a lot of different strings to bring an audience in. And, okay, this may be able to pull on those same strings. It just, you know, it it runs the risk of, man, it it better be tight. It better be good. The vision better be pretty tight um, because if you go in half-assed, well, I mean, that's why I'm glad. Trust, trust me, you, you, you look at Mad Max and you're like there before God goes that film. Because there are so many different ways that that thing could have spun out into just a complete, oh yeah, you know, well, Terry Gilliam Munchausen, well, Baron Munchausen you know, sort of that mess. That movie was filmed you know? in like 2012, 
Like that movie was <laughs> oh filmed God. like two and a half years before it came out. And so it probably was that sort of mess. Yeah, and it's like in George Miller, you know, he talks about the script, but he even says, yeah, the script was probably like thirty pages. Like it was just, but he knew what he wanted to do. His co-writer or his co-writers, like they all kind of have this vision, and he was able to execute on it. Um, two amazing, like Fury Road is such a hey, that guy like got to make his vision like uh, under a studio, like because I I believe it's a Warner Brothers movie. Um, but it's like that guy got to do what he wanted to do. Uh, but like Charlize and Tom Hardy like hated each other on set, yeah. and uh, Tom Hardy, really? yeah, oh my god, like Tom Hardy ended up apologizing after the movie came out because he realized because like supposedly he didn't really cooperate super well with George Miller. He thought the movie was gonna be shit, and it comes out and everybody thought it was great, and it goes on to like pretty much you know win these awards, and he apologized to both of them. So I'm sure George Miller's probably not super set on working with Tom Hardy again. Um, but yeah, but also the amount of things that George Miller does, like, you know, where weapons come from in the cars, because with Furiosa, her gear shift, oh, her yeah. gear shift is a knife, yeah. you know, he, there are certain, like, he even talks about it, it's like, yeah, I, I wanted to speed up the film here and have slow-mo here, so like, usually when somebody reloads, it's always sped up, if somebody's jumping from car to car, it's slowed down a little bit. So it's like mm-hmm. all the boring things are sped up. All the ones that you want to bask in are slowed down. Uh, you know, the color correction, like nighttime is just blue. It was filmed in the day, but they just color corrected it to that blue hue. And you have the machine farm, mm-hmm. there's machine gun farmer and the bullets as the teeth. It's like these guys obviously are a little, you know, twisted, but they have a vision and they know what they're going to do. So the fact that he's back, his co-writer's back, I think it's really just a question of, all right, how much money are they giving them to work with? Uh, because if it's, if it comes out and it's like, yeah, you know, you got 80 million. It's, well, depending upon how Warner feel, how the desperation that Warner might have, if they have uh, the tinges of Paramount, then we'll give all that, they might throw them a bucket of money. All that Snyder cut money to him. Jesus. Why are you putting a hundred million dollars into the Snyder cut? <laughs> so, hold on. so, so I have to say, I, I hear the name George Miller, and all I do is think about the comic from the 80s and 90s named, uh, named George Miller, who was like a big like uh, Letterman, uh, who was like a big guy who was on Letterman. And, um, you know, I, I, I do want to tell a fast story about George Miller, okay. um, the, 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 the comic comedian, real yeah. fast. So the, the, the comedian. So. So George, George Miller, if you go on YouTube and watch some of his stuff, he, he's just he's basically just a joke teller. And, you know, he, I want to say he passed maybe 20 years ago. And, and, and there's a story about him that he had gotten into a fight with his girlfriend at the time. And this is a story that was told at his uh, at his funeral or after he had passed or something like that. And uh, you know, his girlfriend was, you know, they had separate apartments. And uh, so they had gotten into a fight and his girlfriend went out of town. And when she had returned, uh, she had. She had gotten, uh, she gets back to the apartment and clearly um, George had uh, gone into her apartment and, and he had sort of, uh, let's say, created some mischief. He, he had done some bad things okay. in the apartment. And so she goes and calls the cops and they come over and they check it out and they come over to her apartment. And so, and so the, the cops go over to George Miller's house and George is like, so, so what the hell happened? And he's like, well, and the cops are like, well, you know, it seems that someone uh, broke into the uh, broke into her apartment 
and, and tore the place up and wrote, wrote an obscenity an obscenity on this picture of Jesus Christ. And George ended up saying to the cops, oh, I thought that was a picture of Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> okay. And, anyway, so, so, so please look up uh, uh, some uh, bits from uh, George Miller. He tells some very funny jokes. All right. Well, that was worth it. Um, tangent. Tangent. Uh, probably the most interesting story was uh, Netflix, uh, Netflix's Adam McKay movie, Don't Look Up. And it's all-star mega cast after its latest signing. Um, so this was the movie I was referencing. It's like there's too many big stars in this that are. Is it just going to feel weird? Because to be like, yeah, let's throw on Netflix and watch this first-run movie with every kind so, of big-name actor the last five to ten years in it. Is it just going to feel so weird? I remember, to do that? I remember hearing about this at first because Jennifer Lawrence was like the first person to sign on. Like she was. At first, so in the meantime, you got Kate Blanchett, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> and then also there's Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, uh, Matthew Perry, and Himesh Patel. And I guess DiCaprio was like the last Let's... one to sign on because he was trying to decide if he had enough time to fit Scorsese's next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. And this and it was schedule, and now I guess they jiggered th- some things, and it's good to go. But but I mean, they got to be able to find a few spots to throw like Daniel Day Lewis and Robert De Niro, and let's dig up Charlton Heston. I mean, let's throw every effing star that ever existed in this. Missing it's like, like this is ridiculous. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, throw Jackie Chan in there or something. Uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, it's well, this is Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, like that in of itself is just that's insane it's insane and it's playing as a comedy it's a it's a comedy it is yes it's supposedly a comedy about these two people that tell the two world level astronomers that... who embark on a media tour to warn mankind of approaching asteroid that will destroy earth and folks don't believe it the, the public's like yeah yeah whatever okay and it's supposedly it's supposedly playing as a comedy uh, now, what the hell ever happened to the Theranos movie that McKay was making? The what? The, the Ther- Theranos movie. Oh, who's who's the who's the creepy girl oh, that talks like, this, like that was that was full of shit and thought she was the female Steve Jobs and all she did, you know, she was this sort of meh looking girl. Who, you know, sweet talked a bunch of eighty-five-year-old men into, you know, giving time and money, to sit on her board, and in doing so, got credibility and got on the cover of every damn financial, um, uh, the financial magazine. How she was just going to change everything when all of her blood tests were all just horseshit and crap and fake. Um, but yeah, no, he was making a movie of that. I mean, it probably got where she was. Where she was sort of like the hero. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as that movie was being made, the story sort of turned. And, okay, and, I, and Jennifer Lawrence, I thought, was attached yeah. to that. As as creepy-sounding girl. And, um, Elizabeth Holmes, I, you know, the story for Elizabeth Holmes, frankly, the story should be about George Schultz's grandson, who worked for the company, who saw it all break down, and her, her attorneys tried to destroy um, that's frankly who should be the 
protagonist of the story. And, and maybe he's changed the script up. To, that's what it is. The fact that that's been shelved speaks to, oh, narrative busted. We need a new script. Let's do this. I mean, this script must be pretty good that he's got everyone and their brother attached to it. But you think so? Is, 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 but is it, is it that this is like, is this perceived by everyone in it as, no, this movie's great? Or is this just like, hey, you know, it's a fun movie. Let's do it. We'll get together. And it's sort of like... Something uh, tells me... Is this just like tells me. Ocean's Eleven? Is this like an Ocean's Eleven type of trifle that all these folks just get together and sort of... Well, play? first of all, that wouldn't be like the worst thing not in that the it's world. A, That'd be awesome. But not that it's a caper movie, but I'm just right. saying that. It's is just it a just bunch of celebrities sort having of, fun. I, is that what this is? I don't know. Well, there's Might a part be. of me that thinks the asteroid's actually going to hit and everybody's going to die and it's going to turn into some environmental thing because Leonardo DiCaprio is. Uh, um, dude, dude, that would make it the greatest best, black best comedy, comedy of the ever. year. Yeah. A comedy of the year? Are you kidding me? Everyone dies? Have <laughs> you ever seen Seeking a Friend for the End of the World? <laughs> Everyone does die. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I know what it's about, but, but, but I've not seen it. So, so, so what you're saying it. Um, it's just Leo at the end where the where it hits and the screen goes to black and then it's just Leo staring straight at the camera saying, "Yep, they're all dead." Now fuck off, <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Is, that, is that pretty I, much I, it? that 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 screams more Jennifer Lawrence than Leonardo DiCaprio. The, 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 that's all, folks. <laughs> but uh. Also, if you have, if listeners, if you haven't looked up, look up Porky Pig, son of a bitch, on YouTube, and it might be the greatest <laughs> surprise ever in your life. It was for me. I think you just, I think you just gave it away. No, probably. because you told me that, and I didn't think it was going to happen, and it happened. <laughs> like yeah, I okay. was like, "There's no way," and then he actually says, "I'm like, are you shitting me?" That's crazy. Uh, no, I, I, I just think the story is interesting because like Leonardo DiCaprio was probably the last. You know, he was the last guy to like not be on a streaming service, and now he is. And uh, you know, he's the he was the last bastion, and now he's doing. An, I'm waiting for him to make Apple that movie wa- and a Netflix movie. I'm waiting for him to make that Teddy Roosevelt movie with Scorsese. That's that's the one I'm waiting Who on. Who cares? I mean, really, I don't really, I don't need to see a Teddy Roosevelt movie. We had Robin Williams play Teddy Roosevelt in three Night of the Museum movies. We get it. All right. Okay. I mean, kind of Teddy Roosevelt, but okay. It's the same thing. It's I don't know. But, but DiCaprio, you don't want to see DiCaprio and Scorsese get together again? I want to see him You're get together again. Fan. I want to see him do, I don't want to see him do historical shit. I want to see him do like just some random. Yeah, because the aviator just blew. It didn't blow. Look, aviator is, okay. You got me a little bit. <laughs> Aviator is a little bit. Aviator is very good. It is. It is amazing. It is probably like one of my top twenty favorite films. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I, and I got you a little Whatever. bit. Okay. No, because that's that's so it's so different because there's all the music and all that is in there. Yes, the story's good, but it's also just that atmosphere that I love. So like, yeah, it's good, and I like the Mungo scene a lot. But you know, it is it's that era. Hey, if they want to make something in that era and put that music in there, cool. But I don't want to see like Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Riders, and all that. I just, I'm good. But like, you know, I, I, no, I just don't. 
I don't want to see another historical thing from. I'd like him just to make like, make like a genre movie. Don't make a Hugo, obviously, but like just make, make something. I don't. I don't want to say fun, but just that's not so heavy. You know, like I don't need to see an Irishman again for a while. He did. I forget he did Shutter Island with him. Yeah, too. remember we saw that. That was, that was there. Well, I, I read the book, so I kind of knew what it was. So. Um, but yeah, it should be good. Uh, I'm guessing the two astronomers are, is it J-Law and Leo? or And, Di- yeah, DiCaprio, yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, well, is Jonah Hill going to be like a reporter? Well, who's Meryl Streep? Is she going to be like the head of the program or something? Or I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, obviously. J- Jonah Hill's going to play a snowman. And, uh, you know, Meryl Streep's going to play this woman that chooses between her son and daughter. Hilarious. Yeah. Wait, jo- what is the Jonah Hill snowman reference? <laughs> wow. Really? <laughs> Jonah Hill snowman. Did, did Jonah Hill ever play a snowman in any movie? Well, Meryl Streep, you said... Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Okay. Boy, I'm making references now. Okay, Sophie's yeah, Choice. I get that. Did jo- Oh shit, Jonah yeah, Hill. Josh I'm mixing Gad him up. My bad. Josh Gad. Not the yeah. same person. Okay. So so Jonah Hill's gonna play a guy in a hot dog outfit. <laughs> great movie. <laughs> Except it is a great movie. Um uh, the next one I had was uh Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix team for Napoleon Bonaparte movie Kit Bag. 20th Century Studios, aka Disney, will likely produce. So my big question, I think we're all asking it. Is this going to be Exodus, Gods and Kings? Or is this going to be Gladiator? <laughs> like, which one? Is it going to be Kingdom of Heaven theatrical cut or Kingdom of Heaven director's cut? <laughs> you know, like, which uh, which Ridley Scott are we getting? <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Is this the Napoleon, Napoleons, Napoleon Three, Napoleon Resurrection? <laughs> Napoleon well, oh, yeah. Is you it Napoleon, like, before Corsica? after Corsica or is it like just Napoleon from beginning to end? I, my, okay. So Ridley Scott has a certain style and okay. Joaquin Phoenix was in gladiator, right? Yes. Um, Joaquin Phoenix can kind of, can kind of chew it up if he wants to, not necessarily bad, but he definitely acts. Okay. Yeah. And Ridley Scott stuff usually has a certain pace and thing about it that it's not meant for acting you're, necessarily you're, you're not, in, in oh, that sense. Oh, you know what I mean? He, like, he kind of moves through stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. That, yeah, that I'll kind of. I mean, I think, peop- so, I think people who saw it, The Counselor would disagree with you. That movie, okay, Joe Rags. True. That's 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 true. I, I just think as well of, some, drags, but I know if you look um, at the Martian, if you look at uh, uh, oh my god, I'm blanking so hard right now. American Gangster, those move. Those they're longer, but they move. Yeah, yeah, but like Robin Hood. I did not it's see like, Robin Hood. I had better things to do. Yeah, with I saw and socks that yeah, needed okay. to be folded that day. But so so. I, I guess my take is, I, I, my feeling it's going to be probably 
his whole story. I think it's from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I don't know if it goes to, you know, maybe it's just the beginning arc where he just gets power before Waterloo and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, um, that's fine. It's strange because you don't think of uh, Napoleon as this, you know, because like I think of Joaquin Phoenix is not someone who has a lot of subtlety, um, you know, in his in his most most well-known performances. Yet one thinks of Napoleon what? as this signs? sort of oh most recent performances. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, no, no, signs is signs is I'd like him in signs, and I'm not I like I thought he was great in Joker, but. Joker is not this sort of understated yeah, performance. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> da -da -da -da. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did exactly just sort of oh, like yeah, rolling yeah, yeah. down down the stairs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. So um so but but one thinks of Napoleon, I do not think of him as this and, and I could be wrong, but I just don't think of him as this um overly impulsive, emotional sort of person my impression of him is one who calculating cerebral yeah just sort of just sort of was like all eyes open and what do we got to do if here? anything and they need to get the he guy he's gonna think that sort of way yeah they need to get the guy who played cutler beckett in pirates of the caribbean to play napoleon um what's his name who the hell's cutler beckett um he, he was what was he the fucker the what <laughs> the fucker from um um. Uh, what's the English? Uh, the English version of um deep. Oh yeah, in the loop, Tom Hollander. He was in the movie. Yeah, the, he was in the movie. He wasn't in the. He might have been in the show, but he, didn't he play the fucker? I don't know who the fucker is. I don't remember that. All right, kill yourself. <laughs> you know that guy. Uh, I'm confused. The short guy who was the uh was he the short guy? Who was like the the Cal Richards. the British yeah, Navy that's guy? Him. That's him. Yep. So he so he's the fucker. Yeah, okay. That's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need to get him to every everyone everyone listening find the thick of it and watch it all. Yeah, that's all I can the say. chief election strategist for the Conservative Party, Cal Richards, alias is the fucker. The fucker. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. That's him. They need to get him to play Napoleon. He'd probably probably be great. Um, yes. Yes, but but yeah, I know Walking Phoenix. You know. But it's like I just don't want to watch this movie and they're speaking in British accents. It's like he's fucking French. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, Napoleon might actually might not be French, is he? Should he? He's Corsican. He's course. Well, French statesman. He, sh he, he should have a Mali Chevalier accent. <laughs> Thank heavens for little girls. <laughs> Corsica, part of the kingdom no, play, of France. He no, no, French. play it the way Jim play it the way Jim Broadbent played it, and like John Leguizamo played it in um, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Harder pushing against the, all that crap. Oh god! Oh my god! Uh, yeah, but that was all. That was all French people with nothing but English yeah, people too. I, I know. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like you know we're gonna open. It's gonna open on that. You know, Napoleon was one of the greatest generals of his era with the, you know, sub, with the title cards and all that stuff. And then it's going to, you know, deep, this deep zoom from far away, like they did Caesar and Planet of the Apes, zoom in and on his eyes and shit. And it's going to be just this British accent. He's like, he's French. He's French. That's the thing. Like Conan O'Brien was doing a, 
he was doing a clueless gamer thing where he's playing Assassin's Creed uh, Unity, I think, where it takes place during the French Revolution. And this guy, he's in the Bastille and he's training with this, the protagonist, he's training with this guy. He's like, follow me, you arse. He's like, arse? You're French! <laughs> he's like just yelling at this. He's like, and then like there's a little kid. He's like, I live in France, but I have a British accent. Because <laughs> and that's like the Les Mis thing. If you watch Les Miserables, who has a French accent in Les Miserables? No one. No one has a French accent in Les Miserables. So in the movie, the the movie that came out in 2012. So I'm sorry, Cal. Cal Richards, greatest quote. And while you're there, could you do me another favor, please? Could you find a hostel, go there, and take a fucking overdose of barbiturates? <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Sorry. So Tom Hollander for the Napoleon Bonaparte movie. We got to make it happen. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And then he could just talk. Tweet just him. Talk like Cal Richards. Tweet. Tweet him that. Tweet him that we're talking him up. I'm sure. I'll Does he even have it. a Twitter account? Do Brits have? I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, Brits do, but like, the are, team. are they are they actually in the twenty first century? How, are they still? I meant. Are they still in the Victorian era? Yeah, Tom Holland there. isn't, but Tom Holland is. Uh, shocker. Um, uh, but the next story I had: Amazon buys the rights to Eddie Murphy's Coming to America sequel for a hundred and twenty five million dollars. Uh, Murphy's ruler of Zamunda character, Akeem, learns he has a long-lost son in the U.S. and must return to America to meet the unlikely heir to the throne. Uh, I'll let you have at it, because I remember seeing your tweet about this. I think there's... I think this is dumb money. I think this is... Uh, this is just... There's so much dumb money that's out there. Folks are just buying it. I mean, Paramount needed the money, frankly, yeah. so they are just offloading IP... <laughs> whatever they got just to sort of bridge the gap. So good for Paramount, Amazon, just, just trying to get it. The reality is it won't even become within the solar system's distance of the first one of being half as good as Dolomite. Oh, Dolomite. Oh yeah. Dolomite was dope. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the coming to America, of coming to America. Uh, the first one, the, coming to America has a few funny scenes. Yeah. But it is all the script is garbage, and it's Eddie Murphy. I mean, it is. It's just Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy I mean, in nineteen ninety in eighty seven. Oh. If you said no, eighty seven. So we're talking three years, only three years past Beverly Hills Cop. Eighty eight. Yeah. John Landis. John Landis directed it, mm-hmm. and John Landis was big guy, sort of in the eighties. Um, n- not that his direction was all that good. I mean, and that sort of had like that was sort of like the movie that the people wanted to go see. I mean, it was sort of like uh, it was it was big broad comedy. Eddie Murphy and his his um three hundred million dollars. Jesus, his 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 lapdog Arsenio Hall is in it. I mean, wow. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult lap dogs like uh, that. Oh, oh my are... God. Our CEO, I'm, I'm, if you're I'm listening just saying... to the podcast, the All Around does not endorse. Uh... <laughs> no, go ahead. Shit. Shit. You, you don't need. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry for being right. Hey, hang on. <laughs> Arsenio Hall was so. Arsenio Hall was so impressive in that movie. In this sequel, he's not involved in it. 
that's how significant. I mean, he was in it a lot. I mean, he was like his he was like his right hand well, man. He was good as Reverend Brown, though. Reverend, oh, I remember yes. Reverend Brown. Gilligan, <laughs> right, Gilligan from the island. From the island. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I like Reverend. Um, but so so this so the one thing that uh, made coming to America interesting mm-hmm. was not so much um, the story, but it was Eddie Murphy being able to do character work as the as the dude from Mighty Sharp, the barbershop, and played the old white Jewish guy. Um, And it's that sort of character work that if Eddie, because Eddie Murphy's real strength is playing characters, as evidenced by Dolomite, which is great. I I don't know if the movie itself was was great, but he was... Jimmy Early. yeah, Yeah. But no, Eddie Murphy was great in the Dolomite movie. Um, if he is able to do character work like that, um, it, which was funny, but was not so sort of over the top, like uh, Nutty Professor type stuff. Well, it's um, the same director, then, same director as Dolomite, uh, for this one, Craig Brewer. Um, so okay, you know, I mean, it's not, it's okay. not like John Landis, it's not like they dug him up, and I know he's not dead, uh, before you no, but J- John Landis, I don't know if John Landis has done anything i mean i don't know if john landis hasn't done anything material since probably doing trying to increase trying to uh, clean up his son's uh, public perception yeah, right now it's that's that 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 dog ain't gonna hurt I mean, yeah i know there ain't nothing he could do uh besides that i think i think john landis you know he sort of like since he he was doing the twilight zone movie the vic morrow got his head chopped off uh during the production yeah of supposedly movie. people still give him crap about that <laughs> you suck. <laughs> He's still dead. Yeah, it just yeah. No, but like people, t- I guess tweeted at his son like, "Yeah, your dad killed somebody or something." He's like, "Well, right. well, cool. It's rough." Uh, but it's interesting because Paramount, you know, Paramount's not selling off a Quiet Place two or Top Gun Maverick anytime soon. So we'll see. Do you think people tweet? You think like people tweet at Osama bin Laden's daughter that's in the U.S. Like, hey. Your dad sucks or things like that. I mean, do you think they tweet that at her too? I mean, I think there's just something that's so blatantly obvious that like you won't get criticized for harassing somebody. You'll just be get criticized because it's like, dude, that's not original. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not even a good joke or something. Like, you, like, Stil- like Stalin's great. Isn't Stalin's granddaughter living in Wisconsin? Do you think people tweet her saying, she hot? yeah, 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 yeah. Your, your, your grandfather was a bad person. <laughs> Really stepping out there. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh at your own joke. <laughs> no, just the idea of you tweeting at someone. It's like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, your granddad, he, he was mean. Yeah, 100 and, 120 million people or whatever. Or sorry, 20 exactly. million people. Uh yeah, I'm glad anyway. you got such a kick out of your out of your own. I don't even. Call, I wouldn't even call that I'm a sorry. joke. <laughs> it's it's not even a joke. The scariest part of it is I would be willing to bet hundreds of people have done that. Yeah, well. So, and and they meant it. Oh, yeah. No, they would. They were joking about calling Stalin a bad person. 
uh, or they would say, or maybe they tweet, maybe it's a movie. No, 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 no. It's when they, it's when they tuck themselves. No, it's when they tuck themselves into bed that day. (laughs) They can, they're able to shut as they shut their eyes. They can think to themselves, "I did my good deed for the day. I told Stalin's granddaughter that that uh, his her grandfather was a bad person." Um, you know what? I think I'll send. I think I'll write myself in for the Nobel Peace Prize right, for doing yeah. that. A little pat yeah. on the back. Uh, oh yeah. You know, little fist bump as uh, don't you forget oh, about God. me starts playing. Um, so <laughs> my last, the last story I had was Ava DuVernay. Uh, no, hold on, hold on. But when they go to the Seven Eleven and their credit card declines because they couldn't afford to pay for that cup of coffee. They're going to say, you know, you should give me this cup of coffee because I tweeted at Stalin's <laughs> granddaughter telling him how bad her grandfather was. Or they can't afford the $5 on the gas pump, five on two. <laughs> five on two. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know what? No, no, no. Listen, I'm a good person. Right. I deserve this. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And the worst part of all that is those people exist. Uh, but so Ava DuVernay is going to direct – uh speaking movie, of go ahead movie called cast uh wait 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 is this about is this about the cast in zamunda no where you have the king no oh, okay just check it go ahead through so the story i guess the premise through a multiple story structure cast uh examines the unspoken system that has shaped america and chronicles how our lives today are defined by a hierarchy of human divisions dating back generations so the first thing i want to mention just before we, before we basically uh, strip this <laughs> thing down, <laughs> is that after Wrinkle in Time flops, she's directing a narrative film for Netflix. Not a documentary like she did in the past, a narrative film for Netflix. All right, go ahead. Is it a film? My impression is this is somewhat of a series. It's like a multi-pronged, it's a, it's a, multiple episodes. It is? Is it just... I, my oh, impression, first my impression of this feature film for Netflix. It is a film. Uh-huh. Okay. Base adaptation of Pulitzer Prize winner Isabel Wilkerson, Wilkerson's New York Times bestseller cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. Dad, go ahead. You have the floor. Um, guilty white people will burst into tears as they fire this movie up. I mean, I mean, Netflix is saying Netflix, this is their hedge to say, well, you know, we did this movie. We paid for this, yeah. is, which, is, which, which is what this is. The, you know, the ultimate irony of this is you have tech companies um, that are basically, you know, paying good money for this stuff. Yet, um, you know, and, and I, I tweeted about this earlier that you got like Brahmins running tech companies that won't even do Zoom meetings with folks, uh, with Indian folks further down the cast there because they don't want to give eye contact to them. And yet a lot of these tech companies are going to, uh, uh, oh, fuck it. <laughs> I, 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 I could just go on. I mean, you know what? A- A- Ava DuVernay, good for her. I'm sure this will win dozens of awards um, because – she is giving, she's giving, I'm not saying she is giving, Oprah, who, you know, like dubbed this book cast as being one of the books of the year, or it's on her book list. 
Um, you, you are giving the people what they want. Hello, Jalen Rose. And um, this Rose. is the stuff that it give the people what they want. Or I thought it was Jalen Rose. Uh, the basketball player? Yes, yes. This is this is what this is what people want to hear. So you're just sort of feeding them what they want. And it's like good luck with it. And Ava DuVernay, she's done has she done what has she done? I thought she was doing what is she doing some DC um superhero thing or something like that? Yeah, you know, she's developing some team thing for DC. But, you know, DC shits out announcements every 2 weeks. We'll see if it happens. Uh, you know, two words about cast though. Ruth Conda forever. <laughs> oh like, my god. It is just so yeah. it is just so it's all about I'm sure I'm first of all, I'm sure it'll be a good movie. I'm sure it'll be well written, well directed. She's a talented filmmaker. But like if you well, it's kind of already written. I mean, it's based on a book. Right. And the point's already laid out on it. I mean, well, hey, Wrinkle in Time is based on a book. So that turned out. Woof. Um, yeah. So uh, it is, but it is just one of those movies that there is a built in um, excuse. And yes, I will use the word excuse for if it fails, for if it doesn't. If it isn't reviewed well, obviously this isn't going to the box office. But if this isn't reviewed well for whatever this reason, movie, this, this movie can't, this movie can't fail. Exactly, and but like that's what I'm it saying. Can't fail. That's what I'm saying is that there is for all these types of movies, everybody wants to build in that immunity that it can't be criticized, and this is going to be one of those movies, and it's one of those things where let's just say it is just middling reviews not even bad reviews but middling reviews you will see the people come out and talk about how you know people don't want to acknowledge that white privilege is real or you know majority of the people that didn't like this are white men and you know you know it's, it's going to be that whole thing because that's what it's turning into now you cannot criticize something if and it plays the identity politics thing but you cannot criticize something if you come from the quote-unquote you know, privileged group or whatever. And that's what, and, and again, that's what happens if anybody criticizes this film. Um, Netflix doesn't care. The money they're putting towards this project is, is perceived as a cost of doing business because there's some level of money that needs to be spent. Therefore, fine. It, it, it just as, just as, <clears throat> um, I saw something out there. I want to find this article. Um, well, uh, the movie that she's directing for DC is it's a New Gods movie, uh, co-writing with Tom. Just like Tom Warner Brothers Television has signed a production deal with Black Lives Matter co-founder with a Black Lives Matter co-founder. Oh, and really? Yes. So all I'm saying is that whether they believe it or not, it doesn't matter. This is the cost of doing business. Yeah. So and that is, what is, yeah. that is what is going on. Well, and that's what's happening. Whatever. You know how I feel about Black what, Lives Matter. So. Uh, well, what, no, no. But, but, but I'm just saying it's like, 
Okay. Cool. But that's you know, it's like you're you're doing so you're the head of the what you said the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Yes, you're the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. What mm-hmm. is a television deal going to do to uh, achieve your mission statement of preventing police brutality against black people? Because that's not the no no no. But like it's kind of. But that's not the purpose of black. But uh, what's the purpose of Black Lives Matter? I I I mean I mean I mean I mean we're sort of diving into politics. I mean ultimately, Black Lives Matter is this socialist slash communist organization, and they're just you know using um, the the they're using. I'm saying what police brutality. I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying. If you go to like the website and you see their mission statement, I'm not saying uh-huh. what the other stuff is. I'm saying their enumerated uh, mission statement. Um, like, what is it? And I'm what basically what I'm saying is, what is a Warner Brothers television deal going to do to achieve that mission? And again, it's kind of rhetorical. I'm not saying you need to answer the question, but it's just like this thing of like. Okay, like the Oscar so white thing. Did you really like, like, did you really? First of all, the Oscar white thing. It's like goes back to the Chris Rock joke. You know, we had th- we had actual things to protest about, like that whole thing. Um, but also, it's just, and it's also that thing of you know when Oscar so white happened, there was no recognition that you know Alejandro Gonzalez and Yuritu, Latino fella, won best director, won original screenplay nothing really about people of color there in terms of like nobody recognized that or they were you know like he wins or emmanuel lebeski wins best cinematography nobody recognizes that first mexican guy to win best cinematography. nope nobody so it's only about a certain type a certain person of color it's not about all the people of color um and I think so. It's mission statement. Think, hang on. It's mission statement. <clears throat> it's yeah. mission statement is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. So you're just gonna you're gonna show examples to white people and make them feel guilty. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah, I mean, white that's guilt. Ultimately, you know, what it is. Crash. Twelve years a slave. It uh, is. It is. Green book. Uh, oh, hold on. Uh, let, let, let let's get real. It is white people that's greenlighting all this stuff. Yeah, I know. For the most part, I'm, a, I'm aware. I am aware. And, and 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 also and also people that people that recognize that we are better off as a company to do things like this to sign people. Now now whether so that you can they, I know so that you cannot be criticized in the future for not giving those opportunities so that you have the evidence to shut everybody's bases. I get it. I get now, it. Now, now, now the question is after now, now, now this is what's going to be interesting is, okay, let's say over the next five years that all these sort of artistic endeavors have been engaged with and it's been put out and things like that. The question is, are these companies going to sort of ghettoize? And I don't mean that in the sense of, black people in the ghetto i mean that in the sense of ghetto eyes you just here's your space to be in this is it and stay stay in your lane you mean ghetto in the in the strict definition of the term like how how the nazis had ghettos i I understand what you mean 
Right, right, right. But, but, but this is it. And and my impression and I would, think be that would be that these, that would be the worst. Th- that thing. that is the likely that is the likely outcome of this mm-hmm. because when it's all said and done, you can sign whatever. Once people are signed, if it turns out that it's not economically viable, it's not going to matter because they can say, well, you know, we tried, it just didn't hit, and ultimately we're a business, but you know, we did our part, moving on, mm-hmm. and 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 ultimately, you know, this is likely a, a fad that. You know, right, but and that, that's the yeah. whole thing where I think that would be one of the worst things to happen in terms of just creativity and creative endeavors ever is to that ghettoized thing of basically section off certain people and what they are, and that's how I feel about when you know people will get on social media and it's like, well, we only want to fuck with our own, right? We just want to fuck with our own, and you know, then that kind of bleeds over into people criticizing interracial relationships and all that stuff. Um, and it kind of gets into that when it's like, hey, if you kind of go back to the guy that really pushed forward or to, I'm not going to say the guy, but maybe the figurehead of people that pushed forward civil rights in order to get legislation done, Martin Luther King, it was all about people together. It was all about people coming together. It wasn't about sectioning ourselves off, you know, that, and that's what I always go back to whenever people are people do do that willingly you know uh so i don't know that's how i mean yeah we kind of went on a bit of a tangent off of cast no but 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 i think you're correct in that you know uh if you know there's a much stronger strain of you know we're down with separate but equal um as a concept and that's not necessarily that's not really coming from white folks Exactly. Um, that yeah, are saying I know, that I know and 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 ultimately uh is that a solution and and of, and of course it's not but people are saying all right we want to do that and i'm like okay okay so um yeah i i i mean <clears throat> let's get real hollywood was you know was up until the me too movement a cesspool of depravity generally at the upper realm, up the upper edges of the um, movie studio and in the entertainment industry. Um, and, and I guess it's changing somewhat, but probably only within the last couple of years. Let's get real. There's no nobility here of these companies that are signing these people on. It is all about, uh, I'm just going to do what works today. And if it ain't if it ain't gonna work, we're gonna cut it off at the head. That's all it is. Yep. That's all it is. Well, that was <laughs> the last story I had. I didn't know if you wanted to add anything else. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast where they were. It was a, the Ringer rewatchables thing because they were doing Easy A, and it had been a while since I've seen Easy A. Oh, wow, God. and 11, uh, 10, 11 year old movie. Yeah, ten year uh, August of twenty ten. Go with Chucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what's crazy is that came out around the same time as Scott Pilgrim, and it's just like wow, like those came out within I think like a month of each other, and both those movies are great. <laughs> uh, but. It was interesting because they talk about how it was like the launching pad of Emma Stone into, you know, hey, she's a star, she's an A-lister, or she can lead a movie, that whole thing. And they're talking about, well, she was in, you know, Super Bad in a bit part, 
Well, not a bit part. Like she was in it. It wasn't a bit part. It wasn't a bit part, but she was the crush of one of the two leads. She wasn't one of the main right. people. And she was in right. she was in Zombieland, obviously. But Zombieland wasn't Zombieland was a hit, but Zombieland wasn't like it wasn't like this uh big thing. So she was in that. And then when she was in Easy A, that was like because after Easy A she was in spider-man <laughs> like she was in um la la land she was in crazy stupid love she was in gangster squad Gangster squad wasn't good but she you know, aloha y- yes she was she was in aloha um <laughs> yeah uh she was like that she was in the help like literally right after easy a she did the help crazy stupid love amazing spider-man like right after easy a so um yeah that was kind of the big one for her but they were talking about cruella and how nice yeah nice they're talking about yeah she's gonna do this cruella movie that's supposed to be coming out and i mean da, 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 da. and the mental gymnastics that they did in order to say you know she's gonna have fun with it it, it should be good you know she wouldn't sign on if it wasn't gonna be good like it, it's emma stone she's she's great and it's like okay all right these you know what these people are all about not pissing off anyone because they're taking oh no no no. they they have some strong takes about movies i mean simmons wasn't on it so it was uh you know it was relatively tame but no they they will launch into some stuff about like yeah this movie sucks or this this sucks or da, da 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 but like i think it was because you know, two of the three people were women and, you know, they're really kind of... The other thing is, like, they're talking about how, like, you know, the jokes, like, don't work in 2010. It's not funny because they're offending certain people. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Oh, my God. It was just... Jesus Christ. So there funny was that. Funny. So there was that. And it's like, yeah, it's something, you know, what, wait, 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 wait. So what the fuck do these people find funny today? Like what? What is funny? Like uh, Easy A is pretty inoffensive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's well, no, no, no. sort of well, scene, for that style so of movie. A, but so it's... I know it's been a while since you've seen it. But you know how she has like an adopted younger brother, right? In the movie, yeah, he's like he's like Asian. No, he's not Asian. He's 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 a black kid. Um. Oh, okay, whatever. So Stanley, okay. Tucci, so Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson are like the hit parents. And there's a scene where he goes, I, you know, I'm adopted. Who cares? I'm adopted. And there's a funny scene because Stanley Tucci's like, what? Who told you? Guys, I thought we were going to do this together as a family. So it's a funny scene. And they, So they say, like, that's funny, right? But then later, there's kind of this little off cut to whatever. And Stanley Tucci's looking at his adopted son. He's like, so where are you from originally? Right? That's where he says. And, like, they had a problem with that joke. And I'm like, oh, are you shitting off. me? Like, first of all, that's a great joke. And the, the way the timing works in the movie, it's it's really a great one-off. Like, hey, like, that's pretty good. And they had a problem with that. And I'm just like, where where are we heading in, in this world where that is, like, a problematic... They didn't use the word problematic. Um, but, thank God. But, um, yeah, it, it just blew my mind how that was, like that was a joke that should not be told today you know and it was just like oh god but yeah so that was that was one thing i wanted to they they i i'm who want 
who are these people and what's nah, it's it's whatever i i can't <laughs> so but also simmons, i can't i just can't simmons did uh unfaithful and it's like i haven't seen unfaithful but i know how he feels about diane lane and oh, it's like yeah, I feel like uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like wow, he feels Lane all stars. How a lot of men feel about Diane Lane, um, but like I haven't seen it, but I feel like I need to see it and then watch and then listen to that because I feel like that would actually be worth it. But also, I did want to mention for our we had seventeen plays I, this week. I, I, but, dude, dude, I gotta say this: like Diane Lane, like was in the Cotton Club when she was nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. It's hard to find a woman who got that, who like got that much more attractive as she, as got, she older. got older. Yeah. Like, and I mean like attractive, but like got way more attractive as she got older. And you're just like, what the hell? How did, what, what, like, like what sort of stuff are you cooking up? That, I mean, how did this happen? But yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. I, I mean, I don't know if I could name, Ah, damn. You know. <laughs> yeah, Under a well, Tuscan sun uh, is another. Anyways, not not um, anything. Like Unfaithful is sort of sexy kind of movie. But Under a Tuscan sun is truly like the uh, chick flick, you know, writer who's just recently had a divorce, goes to Italy, you know. I know. I was. I mentioned it this weekend. Under the Tuscan Sun. I mentioned it this weekend, and Mom was like, oh, "I love that movie." It's like, okay. Who, who uh, knew? Who knew that uh, a woman would like um, the idea but, of a movie of this woman who goes to Italy to meet like a Tuscany that meets some local Italian guy who's like, you know, screamingly attractive. Wow! I can't believe people love the concept of that movie. Sure, no problem. She rents a villa to write for a few months, you know. Well, then, and then, you know, they have Diane Lane playing exactly. you know, Superman's mom, and they kind of try and, like, age her up to be, like, you know, because at the time, it's like, she's, like, I mean, she technically is old enough to be. I did the she's math. 17 years older than him, but, <laughs> like, they try and make it seem like, you know, yeah, they try and make it seem like yeah, she's, no. like, 56 or something and it's like we know that's dying lane like uh uh i did want to also mention so you saw that youtube video i sent you uh the one with the comedian yes yes who got kicked off the stage at columbia so to the listeners out there there's a guy, uh, there's a comedian, uh, Indian comedian who wrote for SNL. His name is Nimesh Patel. N-I-M-E-S-H, Nimesh Patel. And he gave, he did a set, or he was doing an hour-long set. He was invited to Columbia to do uh, comedy from the Asian American Alliance or something at Columbia University. Uh, and he's telling jokes he's doing his thing really kind of relaxed dude um and he tells a joke he's like the set's going pretty well but he tells a joke where he lives he lives next to a gay black guy and a gay black guy always kind of comments on his uh his apparel like all the clothes his clothes every day and talks about how like you know if he looks good or if he's clashing all this other stuff 
And he kind of says, you know, that's how I knew. He says the joke. He says, like, that's how I knew, like, being gay wasn't a choice. Like, nobody would choose to be gay and black in America. Right. And the you can just feel the room almost like just like retract almost like people just kind of step back almost because they're almost afraid to laugh. You hear a couple people laugh, but by a couple. And he kind of was like, oh, that's strange. Like, I know that's a good joke. Like, that's what he says. So he goes just kind of do like a crowd work from what I saw. He was kind of a crowd work at the end. And yeah, just do it. Yeah, not not. Right, he like, wasn't working. He, he was not really hard working. He wasn't like working his hour. Going. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, pretty funny guy, I thought. But then a few students walk on walk on the stage, and they basically at first they say. Yeah, walk on the stage. It was three girls uh, or young women because they're in college. Um, so, uh, so this is about like twenty-four minutes into his set, and honestly, it's a twenty-seven-minute video. I highly encourage a- anybody who listens to this go watch the video. Just Nimesh Patel gets kicked off the stage at Columbia or Nimesh Patel, Columbia University. You'll find it. It was from like two weeks ago. No, it was from like ten days ago. Uh, and they walk on and they basically say, oh, hey, we got to cut it short. They're just They were just lying there. They're lying exactly. their ass off. And then New Mexico is like, oh, he's, he, well, he better be leaving. He better like, because he's like, you know, and uh, they're like, yeah, you know, something came up and we didn't know about it. He's like, why, why wasn't I told about this? Or he's like, well, it didn't come up. To... He's like, did you have a problem with the jokes I was telling? And they, and this one girl, oh my God. The, the audacity to say, I don't think you're entitled to the jokes, to some of the jokes that you're making. And that is the death of comedy. If any, or not even the death of comedy, that's the death of free speech. I don't think you're entitled to the joke, to some of the jokes you're making. She's like 20. What does she know? You know? Well, well the, it's, it's less so that. I mean, it's that, but it's also... This is what the Ivy Leagues are doing to America. Because as we go through, um, you know, college universities are going to change a lot. And a lot of colleges are going to go out of business. A lot of sort of small liberal arts colleges that are private that don't get that COVID's, if they weren't already teetering, COVID's kicking their ass. Um, so there's going to be a very different look to college. But these Ivies that are all well-funded and well-endowed, they are still going to operate and they are picking and choosing the certain people that they want to go to their schools. And it's not necessarily the Ivies. It's going to be your Northwestern. It's going to be your Stanford. It's going to be your Georgetown. It's going to be your other sort of elite institutions. Private liberal arts. That are out there, but they are picking and choosing. But they are picking uh, – Stanford's – Stan, Stanford's not liberal you know, arts, but... Stanford's pretty tech-driven, but um, at least today, just based on its proximity. But, um, you know, these are the people that are being brought in and these are the uh, people that are being, uh, you know, that that are now projecting whatever values that they want to have onto others. And they are now the, you know, these are the 28-year-olds that are writing for the New York Times that are um, identifying what's acceptable culturally and socially right. today as, as, as compared to not. And... And that's what it is. I mean, shit. How many how many Northwestern grads has ESPN hired? 
um, that are that all went to the same journalism school. That and so I'm I'm just uh, and 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 the problem is these are our future leaders that are going to be the arbiters as to what is acceptable or not. And and that joke was pretty damn innocuous. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, and like, it kind of, it kind of, it it, it, it kind of bombed, yeah, but bombed. there's nothing wrong he, with it. In an article, but it bombed because he, he wrote an article about right. the incident. He basically said, "Yeah, the joke bombed," and he wasn't expecting it to bomb. But for those, and I really, I really don't want to have to do this, but I'm gonna do it because some people obviously didn't get the joke. The joke is basically he understands being gay isn't a choice because nobody want to be gay and black in America because nobody would want to double down on hardship and discrimination. That's the joke, essentially. It's like, yeah, nobody would choose that. So being gay, you're obviously born gay. It's a pretty actually like positive joke in the sense of people who don't believe that gay being gay is you're born that way. Like, it's actually pretty like, yeah, there's no way it's a choice. Like, that's what he was saying. And honestly, I really feel like the some of the people in that room did not get that joke. But go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, and, and, and the fact that the fact that it seems like there's a great willingness to turn over, um, to turn over the judgment as to what is acceptable um, to these people, just like yeah, these certain jokes from EZA aren't acceptable anymore. Yeah, it's like fuck off, fuck off, don't watch it. It's, exactly. Guess what? I guess this is I guess this is not a movie for you. This is not a movie for you. You don't like it. Who cares? I'm not going to change it. Look, and, and, and there's a difference between <clears throat> someone intentionally trying to offend you and you finding offense in something. Right. Because you know what? Every, you know what? These, there are people out there that want to find offense in everything. Yeah, Well, no, no, no. Because if I find offense in something, I'm a victim. And frankly, being a victim in this is society proper. today is, is, is the best social currency one can have in 2020. Right. So, well, you know, the other, the mean, other thing I, I didn't like about that was, uh, you know, he does kind of have this little thing because they say, well, if you have any final remarks, something goes final remarks, final remarks. And he's basically, he basically kind of says, things, oh, yeah, he, ju- he just said, yeah, he, he's like, I'm a generation older than y'all. I know comedy. He's like, you know, I'm going to leave the stage. He's like, you know, you guys brought me here for an hour, but I'm going to leave the stage because this is y'all stage. But do know that you're incorrect in this. That's what he left with. And then people in the crowd, you hear like, just get off the stage, cut the mic. And they cut the mic. And he basically yep. goes, he yep. turns, he goes, thanks. And then he gets his stuff. He turns to the girl who said, you're not entitled to joke. He goes, thank you. And the girl says, don't talk to me. And it's like, that's yeah, pretty tolerant of you to say that. And by the way, the only reason he was, I bet you, I bet you, the only reason he was invited was because I bet you they didn't know anything about his comedy, but it was the fact that he was the first Indian writer on SNL. It's the Asian American Lion. Yeah, it was an Asian. Asian American Lion. Asian American Lion. the identity politics. And they said, well, let's invite the first Indian writer at SNL. And I bet you they had, you know, you got to, first of all, if you have a problem with that kind of, those kind of jokes, I guarantee you that's not the first time he told that joke. He said he got the joke from a gay black guy in 2011. So there's no way you listen to his material and then you invited him. And I guarantee you only invited him because of I, I did, quote unquote identity politics. Anyways, 
that's the only thing I have to say about that. But I really wanted to bring that up because I want people to watch that because it was. I I I I mean, the joke kind of is what it is. The fact that I, I, it's not the joke; it's the fact that he. Hey, you can't tell this joke because you're not this type of person or you should not comment on this. It's like, he's a comedian, but go ahead. The fact that a 20 year old that goes to an Ivy league college is setting the agenda when they don't have a fucking clue about what the reality of the real world is at all. My comment to that is shut the fuck up. You're a fucking child. You don't know anything about real life. Goodbye. But because, but because they've gotten into an Ivy League school because their essay sounded good to a bunch of numb nuts who frankly probably have never gotten a job in the real world. All they've been doing is focus on tenure track in their whatever study that they're studying in. I'd, I'd hazard a guess it's probably not likely anything STEM related. You know what? You're a fucking child. Goodbye. <laughs> you don't know shit about shit. Uh, other than that, I wish them all. I wish them all the luck in the world. What was the thing? What was the thing <laughs> that uh, uh, Walter said in Big Lebowski about well, the world does not revolve around you, you piece of shit? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, pretty it much. was just um, I, I'm waiting for a 21 or 22 year old just just to one day come up to me and just tell me how terrible about whatever. And I well, that almost happened when you got corrected on <laughs> Disney Springs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know it was downtown Disney. I'm, you know what? I need to get the proper branding right. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm you know, I'm super tempted. So Hey y'all, we are, you know, I'm, I'm going to see Alex face to face for the first time here in about a week. And, um, God help me. I'd love to just walk in to the parks with a Taiwanese flag shirt and just see what their response would be. Um, <laughs> there probably wouldn't be company. one. Yeah. Cause it's the park. Yeah. yeah be, well, one, one, because it's the park and two, I bet you, I mean, the geniuses that work at the parks are picking up exactly on what a Taiwanese flag looks like so no well yeah. um yeah. well uh, anyway. taiwan's not one of the countries in epcot is it yeah i bet not <laughs> no no but china is. china is but yeah i think walking walking through the chinese pavilion and best best taiwanese flag best text ever we're walking around the countries and i had to uh relieve myself but there wasn't a bathroom in whatever country was next to china so i texted my dad Hey, had to go take a dump in China. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah. But I don't know. Did you have any final, 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 no. final thoughts? No, I think... Uh, I think uh, Solved the problems of the world. We touched on, we, yeah, yeah. We touched on a few things not entertainment related. Yep. So. Uh, so, if you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we're up to nine five-star ratings. We got in like a little official review uh on uh uh apple podcasts i think i know who it's from but i don't know uh could be wrong um wait wait are they are there like written reviews is it just no no there was like so we have nine five stars five star like ratings 
but there's an actual like review review um to the title of it is 10 out of 10 recommendation uh the the <laughs> name of the person is do you believe in magic with a question mark uh and then the the, okay. the review is two words intelligent entertainment love these podcasts um <laughs> okay so, I, I have a good idea of who, who that was, but, um, well, well, listen, I, I'm so glad that I can, uh, you know, fill in the, the, the void, you know, if, if, if intelligent, uh, uh, discussion and entertainment consists of me telling, you know, pretty much 10% of America to fuck themselves, <laughs> you know, I'm happy. I'm happy to continue supplying uh, uh, but you can, that level of intelligence as it's needed. You can so. follow us on Instagram <laughs> at v.all.around. We're up to 47 followers on Instagram. That's right. You heard that. Oh, my you God. You heard that correctly. 47. Um, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore all underscore around. Um, we're available anywhere you get podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, we're we're literally everywhere. Like, uh, what's the thing for pop star? You know, it's like clinical depression. We're just everywhere. Um, <laughs> the Sarah Sarah Silverman line. Um, okay, okay. But all right, I'll. Uh... <laughs>